Hey, what's up, Jordan? Did you see this thing? This play, this clip that's gone viral on social media, it is from the Pirates-Cubs game where Javi Baez, El Mago, ran back towards home on a ground ball to third, right? The throw to first base was off the bag, and so the first baseman for Pittsburgh, Will Craig, uh, was looking to make the tag because the throw pulled him off of the base. Uh, instead, Baez goes running back to home place, and for some weird reason, Will Craig chases him and that allows Wilson Contreras to score from third after Craig threw to the plate for some reason Baez booked for first which was uncovered got all the way to second on an errant throw and the reason why we're killing Will Craig in the midst of all of this is because there were two outs he didn't have to worry about the runner he didn't have to worry about chasing Baez to make the tag all he needed to do was step on first he could have just like sat down cruised ate a sandwich but instead he goes chasing down javi baez in perhaps the worst baseball play in major league history what'd you think oh it was great i mean you know me i'm a cubs fan right and, and el mago that's the magician for those out there who uh, you know may not be as familiar with the spanish language as uh, as we are obviously uh he, he's like my favorite baseball player ever because these are the kinds of things he does this is why the ball needs to get put in play, right? In baseball, right? If you strike out or walk or hit a home run, none of this craziness can happen. Uh, it was absolutely incredible because, as you point out, there were two outs. That was the trending phrase on, on Twitter. It was there were two outs because there was so much that happened. And I think, it's, I think it's like the Javi Baez effect. Like, I think he has that effect on opponents because he does all of these quirky things, right? He looks to take an extra bag. He's very... Uh, clever on defense and his tags and sometimes he's able to pick guys off because they're not paying attention and so I think his mere presence and his his track record and his reputation just messes with people and then all of a sudden things go haywire and you see one of the craziest play the other crazy part about that is he throws the ball home from like two feet away the catcher tries to tag out Contreras and then throws to first, as you mentioned. Because if they still threw it to first and forced out Baez, the run still wouldn't have scored. Because it was a force out at first. It was incredible. It's Javi Baez. Like, crazy things happen when he plays. And, he, and that's why he's the most exciting player in baseball to me. And, and he's, he's my favorite. I think I've seen kids in, like, Pinto-level baseball, like coach pitch baseball, that maybe don't really know the rules. Like, sometimes they'll even run to third first out of the batter's box as opposed to up the first baseline. I've maybe seen those kids in certain instances running back towards home plate. I've never seen it at the major league level, let alone seen a first baseman chase somebody back towards home plate, uh, let alone with two outs. I'm sorry, Will Craig, this one's going to haunt you for a while. And uh, our buddy Brian McInnes, he's a Pittsburgh Pirates fan. And uh, BMAC, uh, this is going to be one that we'll be laughing about for a long time. All right, we want to welcome you to the show. This is episode 70, and we are stoked because we're going to be able to talk with Devon Best, one of the all-time great receivers in University of Hawaii football history. Went on to play in the NFL for the Dolphins and the Browns. Uh, he was on that team with Colt and Ryan Grice Mullins and Jason Rivers and parlayed that into a professional career and then ran into some turbulence off the field Frankly, he has spoken openly about his battles with mental health. And I think the last time a lot of people saw him in the headlines uh, was when he was perhaps undergoing certain arrests or run-ins with the law. I think it was back in 2016 uh, where there was a self-barricade situation at his house 
Uh, there was also an arrest in 2014 at Fort Lauderdale International Airport after uh, he was allegedly being combative with uh, TSA agents over there. And so there were just a lot of funky things that occurred towards the end of Devon Bess's professional career. But he has spoken openly about the fact that he's been able to right that ship. He has turned things around. He seems to be in a great place. And he is back in Hawaii with his family, visiting his former stomping grounds and reliving to a degree, especially in the wake of Colt Brennan's passing, reliving those days as we all have been. So we'll talk to him about that. But first, let's get to our game time. And the first topic, also football-related, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, Miami quarterback heading into year two, said in his first interview or press conference with the Miami media uh, that he didn't know the playbook last year. All right, let me read you the exact quote. He said, last year for me, I wasn't as comfortable just in general. I wasn't comfortable calling plays. The guys that were here last year were phenomenal. I just didn't have the comfortability of checking plays, alerting plays. I just rode with the play, even if I knew that it wasn't going to work. I was going to try to make it work. I didn't actually know the playbook, he goes on to say. That's no one else's fault but my fault. Our play calls were simple when I was in. I didn't have alerts and checks where now I feel comfortable and I can maneuver my way through these things. Jordan, you are a former quarterback. How concerning, though, is it to hear a quarterback, a franchise quarterback at that? Uh, albeit a guy coming off of his rookie season, but this admission by Tua Tonga-Vailoa, how concerning is it when he's saying that he didn't really know the playbook? Red flags, right? I think at the very least, there's a few things that you can make in the case of Tua, right? The fact that it was the COVID-shortened year. They really didn't have the offseason that normal rookies do. They didn't have the lead-up. They didn't have the accessibility to the building to get into the meeting room, as you pointed out the the length of a, a typical type of preseason run-up. Now, on the other side of the token, and I think this is probably the strong argument, is, look, Joe Burrow didn't have that. He looked pretty good before he got hurt, right? Justin Herbert didn't have that. He looked pretty good once he came in. And granted, he wasn't a week one starter, kind of like Tua, right? But that's even more, I think, the case is you're like, okay, well, look, Tua had, what did he have? five weeks or something like that, right? He came in, they were five games in or something after the bye week, basically, right? He had a bye week too before that. Same with Herbert, right? He didn't expect to start necessarily. And he came in a few weeks because of the Tyrod Taylor freak thing, right? Where they puncture his lung. Um, and so because of all those things, it, it's still a little disappointing at the very least, right? It's like, okay, you, you had a little bit of time. Other guys were able to pull it off. And I, I don't know what percentage of the Cincinnati playbook Joe Burrow was able to digest. I don't know what percentage of the Chargers playbook Justin Herbert was able to digest, but those are guys who operated a lot in no huddle offenses in college, guys like Tua who had multidimensional offenses in college. So I don't think it's one of those cases where it's like, hey, look, they were running, you know, the Cam Newton check with me one hand signal and we go type of offense, right? There's the verbiage involved in all those kinds of things. And they were doing that in Bama, right? Whether it was Lane Kiffin, whether it was Mike Loxley, whether it was Steve Sarkeesian as his offensive coordinators there. And so he, he's had to digest new playbooks. And so it's just, it's a little, I don't think it's for a lack of ability. Like, I don't think it's because he cannot digest it. I don't think it's because he's not a guy who can process information and the like, because we've seen it in college, right? Um, and we saw it a little, I don't know if it was because they were a little hesitant to let him dive into it full on, like maybe we saw at other rookie stops around the league. Um, but 
him openly admitting that shows a little something, right? He's like, hey, look, I'm owning it. Um, and expect he's also raising the bar for himself because he's saying, hey, look, coming into this next season, I will have the grasp of all of this. So it's, yeah, it, it's a head scratcher. It raises a few eyebrows. I think it's a, a few red flags because like, okay, look, this is the guy. They drafted in the top 10, right? And you should be able, at least in this day and age, be able to go in there and whatever percentage of the playbook you've got, you've got to be able to go out there and execute it at a high level. So uh, this is going to be a telling year for sure for Tua. Yeah, it's not the best look for a franchise quarterback to admit that he wasn't that well-versed in the playbook. Uh, and, it, and, and maybe he's over-exaggerating. Maybe he's kind of trying to make a joke about it. We don't know how accurate this depiction is, but it is a pretty honest uh, admission. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it will automatically call into question, uh, like you said, I don't think it's a, a lack of ability, but maybe study habits. You know, this is a guy who wasn't the starter in the first half of the season, so it wasn't as though he didn't have time to digest it all. He was in a quarterback room with a veteran offensive coordinator, a veteran quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and so there were a lot of other people to be able to glean knowledge off of if there was a shortcoming in terms of the understanding of the playbook. And it does seem a little odd that now he's saying he's fully comfortable with everything when they've introduced two new offensive coordinators, including new personnel in Will Fuller and obviously in uh, drafting Jalen Waddle. And so it, it just sounds a little iffy. And, and I think we're all believers in Tua Tonga Vailoa. We all feel like this is a proven commodity. Uh, but as it pertains to professional football, if you're the franchise QB, I'm just not sure it's wise to ever let on that you had any issues in digesting the playbook because it, it, it can't be treated like it is with other positions where you're this phenomenal athlete, wide receiver, and it's like, hey, look, maybe he doesn't get all of the ins and outs of the playbook, but he can run fast, he can go long, he can run a deep post. Uh, when you're the quarterback, you are the conductor. You are the director out there. And so it is of the utmost importance that you have that knowledge. And so I think that's where he opens himself to criticism. And I, I think that's the only strategic question I would have for, for Tua in bringing this up and being so honest in this admission. All right, we move over. And this was a feel-good story this past weekend. Phil Mickelson, one for the old guys. He becomes the oldest player to win a major in golf, 50 years of age. He claimed the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island Golf Resort's Ocean Course. I was glued to my TV watching this thing. I was calling University of Hawaii Baseball and had it on my phone, trying not to be too distracted from the broadcast itself. Uh, but I was all in on this. Phil Mickelson, it was a great story. How did this hit you, Jordan? <laughs> yeah, some inside baseball there, right? Uh, <laughs> Literally. Taking you inside the broadcast booth. Uh, sometimes... Sometimes we distract ourselves if there are other things going on. Just, just, uh, just a little tidbit for the folks out there uh, as we pull back the curtains a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I, is, maybe it's because I'm like north of 30 now. Like, have I become the old guy who roots for the other old guys? Like, when I was younger, it's like, oh, it's kind of cool, right? But not, now I feel like a kinship to a guy like Phil, where it's like, yeah, those young guys, they'll have their turn. Go for the, you know, we, we cheer for the old. It was awesome. Uh, it's just the full fill experience, right? He, he's every other hole is either a birdie because he's holding one out of the bunker or he's hit an incredible approach shot and the next hole's a bogey because he put it in the water or he put it behind a tree in a sandy area that only exists in Kiowa Island. Uh, I wish I could take, you know, full practice swings in the sand because that's where most of my balls go when I golf. It was, he was awesome. He was awesome. It wasn't quite Tiger at the Masters two years ago. To, but that's to take nothing away from Phil, right? It's pretty close. He's got six majors now. The guy's incredible. He's in better shape 
than he was 20 years ago. So who knows how long he can keep doing this because he can hit it just as far as everybody else. He's got just as much magic as he's had around the greens at any point in his career. He's having fun, I think, at this later age. He's not overthinking it. He's just playing his brand of golf. And it, is, it, was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see him go out there and outduel, uh, you know, the young gun in Kepka who only plays well in majors, right, and all these other names. And here it is, 50-year-old Phil Mick. The guy's on the senior tour. He's on the senior tour, and he's winning major championships. It's incredible. And by the way, how, how amazing was that course? It looks like so much fun. It, it looks, looks like, like the, a nightmare to play. It looks like the hardest course in the history of Oh, humanity. my gosh. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But it, it, it looked pretty cool. But, yeah, yeah. Phil. Phil, you got to love Phil. The course was beautiful, especially on TV, and, and I agree with you. And as a, a guy who is closing in, sort of, on being eligible for the Champions Tour. It's the Champions Tour, not the Senior Tour, all right? Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. My you apologies. Young buck. No, but it's, it, was, it was just a great story. It's not going to be on the level of Tiger. Phil isn't an icon on the level of Tiger Woods, but you're right. Sixth major, it probably puts him firmly in the top. 10 or 12 maybe golfers of, of all time, I would suspect. And, and, and just, you know, the way his popularity transcends golf, it was a crossover type of event, just like Tiger, just not on the same scale. Uh, but it was great to see. And I think it's a reminder, the math has changed in sports, right? With the modern day knowledge of nutrition and working out and maintaining your physical health and maintaining your mental health. Uh, I, I think we're seeing 50 is the new 40, 40 is the new 30. And these guys, no matter what sport you're talking about, they're just playing longer and better. Uh, the math is changing on how we have to determine whether or not somebody is, is showing their age or is succumbing to age when it comes to professional sports. So uh, Phil doing one for the old guys. I love it. <laughs> Meanwhile, Couple of the younger guys getting into a pretty public feud. Have you been following this Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau? Uh, this feud that has kind of bubbled over here a little bit in the last few days uh, because of what happened after the last round at Kiowa Island, where Brooks Kepka was being interviewed by the Golf Channel. It was an outtake, but it somehow still got posted on social media. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau walks right behind Kepka. And Kepka like can't even continue the interview. Like he's so distracted because he has such a strong hatred, it seems, for Bryson DeChambeau that he can't even continue the interview. He shuts down. He says, you know, I, I can't I can't deal with that bull bleep. He's talking about, you know, he's dropping F bombs. Like Bryson DeChambeau completely threw Brooks Kepka off his interview game, and it was hilarious. And then there was the promotion for this upcoming golf event that has Tom Brady uh, teaming up with Phil Mickelson versus Bryson DeChambeau teaming up with Aaron Rodgers, which is, you know, pretty compelling and intriguing, I think, having those two quarterbacks teaming up with those two guys. Uh, but Brooks Kepka posts on social media, sorry, bro, to Aaron Rodgers because he has to play a full round putting up with Bryson DeChambeau and his antics. Uh, and then you have DeChambeau follow that up and says, I'm living rent-free in your head. And it's just funny. I'm here for this. I'm here for these two guys battling. I would love to see them paired together at one of these upcoming tournaments. Oh, please, please let it be a major. Or even better, if they're the two leaders on a Sunday in a major championship. Like, I can't wait for that to happen. I am here. I actually think it's probably fantastic for the game of golf. Oh, it's great. It's absolutely great, right? Every good sports interest story has a villain, right? I don't know who's the villain in all of that. 
right? It, you pick your side, who cares? But if there is a little vitriol, it only helps. It only breeds more interest, only brings more eyeballs in. It's absolutely great. Plus, they're the two most jacked guys on tour. <laughs> so maybe get a little tussle involved, you know, maybe not Bob Barker, Happy Gilmore style, but, uh, you know, a little, a little animosity. I like it. You need, you need a little something to root against, not just for, right? That's what makes sports fun. So you're not going to say whether you're Team Brooks or Team Bryson here in this particular beef. I think I lean Kepka. Okay. Go with Brooks okay. for now. Yeah, I reserve I think, the right to change my mind. Brooks doesn't seem like the the coolest guy to me. I, I like in just terms of like being nice to everybody. Yeah. Uh, but Bryson, he he seems a little more manufactured and maybe uh, too <laughs> self aware when it comes to his uh, as he even put it his brand. And I don't really like that about the guy. So I think at least Brooks Kepka, even though he's not the nicest dude, it seems, uh, at least he kind of tells it like it is. And I think I'm team Brooks on this one. All right, we move over to the NBA. And hey, look, the NBA playoffs are full bore. You have the fans back in most of these arenas. That's pretty awesome to see for sure. However, the reintroduction of fans to the events has also reintroduced us to the crappier fans. And you have some fans at NBA playoff games that are acting the fool. A fan at Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia dumped popcorn on Russell Westbrook. He had another fan at MSG who spat on Trey Young. Both of those fans have reportedly been banned indefinitely, but uh, Jordan, what is wrong with these people? And do you agree with the idea of banning these individuals for an indefinite period of time or for life? Or what do you think the punishment should be? Oh, I think it should be forever. Like, there's this understood deal, right? You are going there. It is entertainment, absolutely. These athletes are putting on a show for people's entertainment. But you, you can't cross the line. Like, you, you cannot. There, there's no if ands, or buts. There's no excuses. We've seen in the past what could happen when fans do, right? You, you want to go malice in the palace. You want to go elsewhere. It can boil over quickly. Right. And if nobody if, if Russell Westbrook wasn't surrounded by a group of people helping him to the, the locker room when after he got hurt, like that could have got real bad. And so, yeah, anybody who's doing that, you spit on somebody, too. Like that's the popcorn dumping. Right. I mean, it in itself isn't like a overtly like violent where it's going to hurt somebody. But like if you're spitting on a dude in the middle of a pandemic. Like, come on. Those those. Yeah. I don't know if it's like now all of a sudden we can go outside. We don't have to wear our masks. <laughs> You know, we're, we're getting, we're reintegrating ourselves into society and people like just don't know how to act anymore, right? It's like they've been cooped up for so long, they've gone crazy or something. I don't know what it is, but to me, there's no excuse. You, you cross that line, you got to go and yeah. you can't come back. hundred percent, hundred percent. This is like, you know, the first group that was let back into Las Vegas right after the shutdown <laughs> and it, it just didn't know how to behave. They're like, all right, well, I'm going to get one of those like uh, three foot margaritas and I'm going to tank seven of those. And next thing you know, you're just an absolute mess. And I think that's what we're seeing with some of these fans. They just don't know how to act anymore. They're too excited. Uh, not to mention, we're talking about Philadelphia. We're talking about New York. It's not as though they have a pristine record as far as fan behavior is concerned. Uh, and so, yeah, it, these, these people have to be dealt with, I think, at a maximum level. Uh, you can yell at, at Russell Westbrook. He even said that. He said, you can yell things about my game. You can say I can't shoot. Uh, you can yell at Trey Young. You can tease Trey Young about his weird hair. Uh, I, I'm, 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 you know, everyone's here for that, but you can't cross the line, as you mentioned. By the way, greatest comparison about what Trey Young's hair looks like that I've heard here in recent days, it looks like uh, someone was <laughs> licking a lollipop, dropped it on the ground, picked it back up, and the hair that's attached to it, that's stuck to it, is what Trey Young's hair looks like. All right, speaking of going in bad directions, uh, as we expand on the NBA playoffs, 
Uh, the Clippers trailing the Mavs 0-2 at the time of this recording uh, after losing twice at home. Luka Doncic has gone off in both games for the Mavericks. Is something wrong with the Clippers here, Jordan, or is something right with Luka? Or are the Clippers just getting Clipper bocce because they tanked the last two games of the regular season to avoid the Lakers? <laughs> yeah, a little all of the above, right? Luka is incredible. Like, incredible what he's doing at this age and, and the way he can impact the game. And you can see, right, how just how orchestrative he is and all the strings that he pulls and how he's making these guys like Tim Hardaway Jr. and Maxi Kleba and Melly. I don't even know his first – like, all these guys, like, what are they doing? <laughs> how are they beating a team with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard? It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? And so there, there is something missing with the Clippers for sure. I, I think that is safe to say. Maybe it wasn't Doc's fault. You know, maybe, maybe we're finding a little bit out, right? Everybody wanted Ty Lue in there. Things were going to change a little bit. We're going to bring the defense, all these kind of things. You got playoff Rondo in there. It hasn't shown up yet, and it's got to show up really soon because unless they can win four of the next five against this Dallas team, and now they've lost home court advantage, you're going into what will be a, a pretty sizable home court advantage in Dallas, right? It, it, they're in trouble. They're absolutely in trouble, but I think – you run the risk of when you start criticizing the Clippers of, you know, maybe not giving Luca his due, but I, I think both are true. Yeah. Luca, Luca is unbelievable, unbelievable in how we can affect the game and how you, he makes everybody play at his pace. Yeah. He's special. It doesn't look like he's moving that fast. It doesn't look like he's that fleet of foot, but he gets to every spot he wants to. And you're talking about Paul George and Kawhi Leonard reputed to be two of the best on ball defenders in the NBA and neither of them could stop him when they were switched up on him. Uh, and so that's what strikes me is, yes, part of the reason you brought these two guys together was you'd be able to lock dudes up. Uh, and you have this 22-year-old who is just going to town against this team that, you know, was supposed to be you know, the team that had this toughness to it, this tough, gritty edge, right? They rebranded Los Angeles Clippers. They were going to steal the thunder from the Lakers. And that just hasn't quite come to fruition yet. Look at that game, too. Kawhi and Paul George, they had huge first halves. They had pretty big games, individually speaking, and still wasn't enough. So what does that tell you? I think you're right. Maybe it wasn't Doc's fault. All right, time now for our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and it is our discussion with Devon Best, uh, simply one of the best receivers to ever play at the University of Hawaii. Broke all kinds of records, catching passes from Colt Brennan. Uh, the passing of Colt hit him pretty hard, as you will hear. He also went through some of his own challenges in terms of mental health, uh, was in the headlines for some negative publicity several years ago, but he has brought it back together, seems to be in a great place. So without further ado, let's go ahead and play our interview with Devon Best. All right, Devon, it's been a minute. Good to see you, man. Uh, how's, how's life treating you? I know you're back here in the islands. Uh, you are uh, kind of on this, this family trip, visiting some friends as well. Um, how's life treating you, man? Life is good, man. Um, just not, not really too many complaints these days. You know, obviously COVID had its toll on everybody. But uh, overall, you know, in good, good, good spirits, you know, feeling good physically, mentally, um, spiritually, and emotionally, man. But, um, you know, I, last few years I've been in a really good space. Um, obviously everybody kind of knows, you know, um, you know, how I was doing or the last they heard of me, you know, was, was, was in the news and how my mental health was kind of taking its toll. But, um, since then, and I've, I've really been in a really good space and, uh, you know, just hearing the news about Colt just kind of gave me, um, another sense of, you know, you know, when things are going bad, you know, life is just going to hit you out of nowhere, you know, in the, 
in the stomach and the gut, just, just out the blue, you know? So I've kind of been, uh, kind of preparing myself, you know, just, just, just trying to stay prepared for those kind of blows, you know? So it's tough hearing that news about him, but at the same time, I think I'm, I'm in a space now where I'm, uh, I kind of anticipate setbacks now, you know what I'm saying? And, and just uh, I'm, I'm more reactive to them instead of just being shocked by them now these days. But overall, man, in good spirits. And uh, it feels really good to be back in Hawaii. Well, that's really great to hear uh, because you're right. You know, I, I think a lot of people the last time that they heard about you were, you know, involving some some of those uh, instances. And uh, I, I guess since you mentioned it, I would love to ask, you know, how you approach dealing with some of that adversity and some of those challenges you know with what has happened with Colton we'll get to that I'm sure here in a moment as well uh you know it it reminded us of just how fragile it, it can be when it comes to maintaining mental health and, and maintaining uh, a certain sense of self especially in the business that you were involved with for so many years uh, what was your approach to some of that well I think man for me personally you know I can't really speak on you know, everybody else, you know, Cole in particular, but I just know me, a lot of it stemmed from my, um, you know, my childhood, man, and my upbringing, you know. So, um, you know, I come from a place, you know, in Oakland where everything is about being mentally tough. You know, you have to grind it out and, 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 and looking for help or seeking therapy or counselor or anything, that's, that's frowned upon, you know. It's looked at as a sign of weakness, you know. And... Um, I just got to a point in my life where I was soaring not only on the football field, but in the community as well, you know, with my foundation and just the many things that I, were, um, I was getting involved with. And um, as I continue to, you know, prosper and grow, um, you know, a lot of people around me, you know, in particular, you know, the, some of the closest people to me started to change, you know what I'm saying? And they started um, not only demanding things from me, but just kind of taking advantage of my kindness. You know what I'm saying? Because I've always been really genuine and just, uh, I think that's my biggest weakness is having a heart for people. You know what I'm saying? And, and people saw that and they gravitated to that in a negative light, you know? So it got to a point, man, where I didn't want to be around people. You know, I, um, I, I kind of saw all the bad things about people, you know what I'm saying, which hurt me. Um, you know, um, a lot of things was taking place or was happening back home in my home city of Oakland with, with close family members, like my brother had got shot. Um, you know, uh, me and my wife was kind of on the verge of divorce. You know, I had got injured. You know, the Dolphins was, was talking about trading me, you know, despite everything I, was, I had already done for the organization in the community, in the field. They were, you know, they wanted to trade me because of the, the mental health issues, instead of trying to help me figure out what was going on, they just kind of put a Band-Aid over it and shipped me off to, to Cleveland, you know? So it's just, and, and that's just scratching the surface, you know? It's just so many different levels of, of, of trauma and hurt and, um, and depression and all these different things that I was dealing with all at one time. And I really didn't know how to go about asking for help because um, like I said, in Oakland and where I was from, it was kind of frowned upon. Um, you know, it was all about being men mentally tough and just thugging it out, you know, and, and making making the best of it. But I'm grateful for those setbacks, man. I'm so grateful. Um, you know, obviously my career ended a, little, a, a bit shorter than uh, how I, than I expected or anticipated. But um, I didn't understand that, you know, God had a bigger plan for me. You know what I'm saying? My purpose was, was uh, revealed to me through my 
my purpose was revealed to me uh, through my hard times and through my adversities. You know what I'm saying? So um, it's just, um, you know, I, I couldn't understand it, but now I know that, you know, my impact is bigger, was, was much bigger than scoring touchdowns on Sundays, you know? And it took me a lot of time to understand it. Um, it was, it was, it was a lot of down days, very depressing days, a lot of crying, a lot of hurt, a lot of suffering. But as I look back and, and where I'm at now, um, I'm just really grateful for those downtimes because it, it, it made me a stronger, much wiser person I am today. Well, you're, you're part of this, this football mechanism, right? And it's all about being an alpha and you're right. There are certain expectations there, uh, but I feel like the, what you're able to talk about now freely see it from some other high profile athletes uh, in basketball you have Kevin Love and DeMar DeRozan have talked a little bit about yeah. mental health issues and so I kind of feel like the opening has been found as far as the entree into being able to have some of these discussions uh, involving professional athletes and these people who uh, were expected to be bulletproof in every facet and, and it's no longer I think considered uh, a weakness to admit that you have to tend to your mental health. I, I feel like that's a, a changing uh, perception. Do you agree? I, I agree 100%. And um, I, think, I think the reason why it's changing is because you got guys like Kevin Love and Brandon Marshall, uh, excuse me, Brandon Marshall and DeMar DeRozan. You got these guys who, who, and even Kyrie Irving, you know, you got these guys who are addressing it and talking about it, you know, and that, that basically... Um, starts the conversation, you know, that, 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 that brings awareness to it, you know, and, and you got guys, um, you know, little kids, you know, that look up to these celebrities and these, these uh, star athletes, you know, and they're, they're addressing and talking about the importance of mental health, you know, so for, for them to go out their way and really put it on the map, I think it's, um, it's, it's bringing light to it, you know, and um, the more and more we talk about it, I think the more and more it'll benefit um, not only the people who are going through it on the high level, but the guys who are on the lower level who, who lack the certain resources to get mental health issues um, under control. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's a great conversation, man. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping on that bandwagon, man, you know, because I lived it. You know, it's not like I'm trying to talk about something that I don't know about. I, I literally walked it, you know, walked it my, myself in my own personal life. So I know the importance of it. And I know the impact we can make on uh future generations yeah Devon, was there uh, i'm curious was there was there somebody or or something that sort of served as uh something you you leaned on as you sort of took that leap i, I gotta imagine it takes a bit of of a, a leap of faith right to, to go ahead and ask for that help or, or seek that help was there somebody or some persons that that really helped you along in that process well i think man i think for me personally you know, it's 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 a unique perspective when your back is against the wall, or or when you're on the ground. You know, really, literally trying to find yourself and pick yourself back up. You know, I think for me, there was no there was no other option. You know, besides you know going and seeking you know help. Um, I had a lot of people that I kind of leaned on, and a lot of people that. It's kind of bittersweet because I got, you know, I had a lot of people in my corner that was willing to help, you know, but they, um, I think they were so taken back and, and didn't really understand how to help me. They kind of just washed their hands with me because they didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what kind of help I needed. You know what I'm saying? Because it was so drastic as far as, you know, me being who I am and then seeing what was unfolding in the media, you know, so people was kind of, 
it got to a point, man, I, you know, people was just like, they didn't want nothing to do with me, man. And that broke my heart, you know, that, 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 that sank me into a deeper depression, you know? So, um, a, a, a lot of my journey and a lot of my story is basically just, just, just figuring this, this stuff out on my own, you know, literally having to pick myself up and, um, and, and, and understanding, you know, just having those long, long talks with God and just, uh, trying to find out, um, you know, who I am, the person, you know, I, I've, I've always been identified, you know, my whole life, you know, as this star athlete, you know what I'm saying? This football player and, and this great athlete and this great guy, but who am I the person, you know? And, 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 you know, when football was stripped away from me, I literally had to kind of pick myself up and just get to the root of it and figure out who I was, man. So along that process, I've, I've ran into, um, you know, people here and there, you know, I've done a lot of reading. I've done a lot of, a lot of praying, a lot of meditating, um, you know, listening to a lot of different uh, podcasts, you know, for, for people who struggle with mental health issues, because I think that was one of the key components for me as well is like listening to other people's struggles, you know what I'm saying? Because at one point I felt like nobody understood my struggle, you know, I felt like I was in this thing by myself and, um, and, and just listening to other people, man, I just feel like man it, it gave me motivation in in the in in sense it helped me pick myself back up because I'm like I only want to be worse than I had it you know so it gave me motivation man and um you know just seeing my children every day you know and just you know little things like that kind of motivated me to to kind of get myself back going and get back on this path of um you know of who I am the person enjoying life and, and being happy and, and having fun, you know, there was literally like a four to five year period where I didn't experience none of that, you know, I was depressed, I was overweight, you know, I was trying to figure out like, what the hell is going on, you know, I went from all these struggles, you know, as a juvenile, um, and, and eventually getting to University of Hawaii, you know, which was a blessing in itself. And then I, um, you know, I kind of just took off from there, you know, and everything was going good. I got to the NFL, started getting good, got, a, you know, a few good contracts, you know, that was good. And then I just fell off the top of this mountain, you know what I'm saying? So I had a hard time kind of kind of trying to see what God was trying to show me, you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't really understand it, but uh, I understand it now. And, and that's that's the biggest thing, man, you know, just thankful for it all, you know. Yeah, and I think you know your your story is I think going to serve as motivation for for others that are, that are hearing it. Um, you know, you you mentioned kind of building this resiliency, right, and how you react to negative news, and and of course I think the news of of Colt Brennan's passing hit hit all of us, right? Um, how, how did how did you how did you take that news? And I know you've gotten a chance to to get back to the islands in in the aftermath in kind of a you know bittersweet fashion, but 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 how how that news hit you? I know you guys were had a special bond. Yeah, man, it was tough, man. It was really tough. I mean, like, I'm still processing it today, you know. Like, I'm not even going to sit here and lie to you and say that, oh, I'm fine and it's all dandy, you know. I found myself, like, literally, I don't think I cried this much in, uh, you know, in about five or six years, you know, when I was really at the the, the, the root and the beginning of my, uh, my mental health deteriorating and just kind of figuring things out. But like, I literally was, man, like, crying like a baby. My wife would have to come in and be like, you all right? You good? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, you know? But, 
you know, everybody see, um, you know, everybody see what, 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 what the relationship me and Colt had on the football field, you know, setting records and doing a bunch of good things on the field. But our bond was even stronger off the field. You know, I, that's what I think about. I think about all the things off the field we did. I think about the last time I saw him was about four, four, three or four years ago when I was in Hawaii. And uh, he was in the hospital. He wasn't doing good. You know, he couldn't even walk. He was bedridden for about nine months. And um, I popped up at the hospital to see him, you know, and I just surprised him. I didn't even tell anybody that I was going to go see him. He didn't even know I was coming. And just to see the look on his face when he saw me, man, it was just pure joy, you know. And, I, and that's a memory that I can't just, uh, I can't, I can't stop thinking about, you know. And that's the last time I saw him, man. So uh, it's tough. I'm still processing it, man. I'm just, I'm just thankful for the time I had with him, you know. I'm just thankful that, you know, that he's, in a better place, and um, you know, he's just no longer suffering, man. You know. Yeah, I, I hear that. I know you've gotten a chance to to meet up with some of your other old teammates on this trip. What's that been like to to see some of the guys that are that are still around here on the island? Feels really good, man. Just you know, just bring back a bunch of good memories, man. You know, like um, you know, coming from you know my situation where I was incarcerated, and then coming literally coming to Hawaii like three or four months after that whole uh, situation um I didn't know nobody out here you know nobody maybe two people and um just you know from that point all the way up until the sugar bowl I just created some really really amazing relationships not only with um you know my brothers I went to war with you know the UH guys but you know just the people in the community out here you know what I'm saying so it's always special to get back and just um you know reflect and think about all the good times and you know, laugh and joke with the guys and talk about old stories and just, it's just good, man. You know, it's just real good time. I think that's one of the silver linings of a, of a tragedy like Colt's passing is at least you, you are given an opportunity to, to revisit those times, right? And, and plug into that nostalgia. And I think what we've done over the course of this time uh, is just really remember how freaking awesome that was. I mean, perhaps the height of the University of Hawaii football program and I think what really struck me was how mournful the nation was over the passing of Colt. I mean, his, his name, yeah. his, his, yeah. his brand, so to speak, uh, it really pervaded all corners uh, of, of the national consciousness. And, and so when you look back on it, you think about just kind of what you guys had rolling, what is, 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 is sort of front and center for you? I think for me, just right off the bat, man, like I was talking to UH, the football team today, and um, just dropping gems and just kind of talking about a few things. But I think Coach asked me one question about, um, you know, about the 07 season and, and, and what it took and how that 07 season was special and undefeated and all of that. And the first thing I thought about, I thought about the, the conversation me and Coach had in 2005, you know, when we first met, bro. You know what I'm saying? And you know, a lot of people don't know about this story, man. But uh, in 2005, you know, I was off of, a, I was off of a second, I was getting a second chance. Colt was getting a second chance. We were hanging out at the dorms, and you know, guys were just hanging out. I think we had just got done working out or something. And uh, this was literally the first time I met Colt. And um, me and him kind of just, I don't even know what happened, but. We, we ended up getting uh, going from where everybody else was at to like a back patio or lanai or something. And we just kind of hit it off and just kind of talked about, literally talked about what we wanted to do 
with our second chance and what we wanted to do for the program and everything that we talked about that, that, that evening um, in 05, we ended up doing by December of 2007, man. And it was just, it's just unreal, man. It's just unreal. And those are things I think about when I think about Colt, man. You know, everybody, you know, see Colt as, um, you know, the football guy, the football guy, man. But I know Colt the person. I know his heart. You know what I'm saying? And it just sucks that he had to go out like that, you know. Um, he went through a lot, you know. And um, it just sucks, man, because I know his heart. You know, I know the pureness. And, mm-hmm. you know, Colt was just a good guy seeking happiness. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of us, or not uh, a lot of us not kind of are not prepared for going from you know where we went from as far as getting second chance to be thrown into the spotlight and and, and being able to deal with that from a mental standpoint you know um, then him going to the NFL and uh, not really getting to play having all these injuries after not you know not getting injured his whole career then you get four surgeries in two years in your first couple years you know that that takes a toll on you, you know what I'm saying? And then bouncing around different teams and, you know, and the car accident and just trying to identify, like, who who are who am I? You know, I know exactly. I know that feeling, man. I know that feeling. So, obviously, everybody deals with it differently, you know. For me, you know, it got to a point where I was, you know, I was smoking a lot of weed, man, and, um, you know, and isolate myself. That wasn't helping me. I realized it wasn't helping me, but – uh, thank God I didn't go anything beyond marijuana. You know what I'm saying? But people cope with different things, bro. And it's it's tough out here, man. It gets really, really depressing. It gets really stressful. Uh, anxiety kicks in. You know all these things we talk about, man. We uh, we really need to take it take it more serious, man. And um, I just wish I could have done more for Colt, man. You know because I was still I was fighting my own demons, you know, and just trying to get back myself. But I just you know we had. We have been getting back in contact over the last eight months or so, like talking and just doing really good or doing a lot better and trying to bounce back, you know. But um, it's just, you know, it's just unfortunate the way it went down, man. Uh, you're right. In the better times, I, this is what I've been thinking about. In the better times, he just brought so much joy to so many people. And it was very evident to me in covering you guys, right, as a member of the media, but also kind of getting to know you guys pretty well. It, it, it struck me that you and, and Colt were, you were like kindred spirits. Like you guys kind of had, had, a, had a thing. It, was, it wasn't just chemistry on yeah, the yeah, past sure. thrower, past catcher. It was, it sure. was well beyond that. Absolutely. That's, that's a great point, man. I, and, and, you know, it always takes me back. Like I, I get so deep with it at times. I need to stop doing this. But I can, I can almost imagine and just thinking about what he's going through you know, from 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 the last time, you know, he was here, you know, in that whole situation. I just kind of play it out in my mind, like, man, what was he thinking? You know, I'm sure when he did whatever he was doing, he wasn't planning that being planning on that being his last time doing it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's so sad, man. But um, you know, um, I just think, you know, you know, God God works in mysterious ways, man. I just feel like, you know, by that happening to Colt and and the things that he had to go through. And and him going out like that, he's definitely going to um, impact a lot of people. He's he sure he's he's, he's definitely taking uh, taking my uh, you know my 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 strength and everything that I'm going through. He just took that to a whole nother level. You know what I'm saying? So, um, and everybody is different. You know, he's he's he, I, I know he's going to impact a lot of people. Just not only what he did on the football field, but you know just just his short short time here. You know what I'm saying? And um, he his legacy would definitely live on forever, man.
Well, the same will uh, go for you. And, and it's great to see that, that you're doing well. You look fantastic. You're wearing a Best Thank Route you, Academy Appreciate shirt. It. You're wearing a Best Route yeah, Academy man, shirt. B-R-A, bra. Like, how perfect yeah. is that, bra? Bra, bra. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you said that. One of my boys. So I sent it to one of my boys to get his approval or whatever. I'm like, bro, what you think about this? And um, he was like, Man, I don't know, man. It just looked like bruh, bro, like a bra. You know, he's like, I showed it to my wife, and she said, all she see is bruh. I'm like, okay, well, I'm not listening to y'all. I like it. It <laughs> sticks to me. Um, I, I know the meaning behind it, and I'm rocking with it, so I kept going. You know what I'm saying? So, um, it's, it's you know, this is one of my um, precious, precious things that's, like, real dear to me is my academy. And then my foundation as well. You know, I'm in the process of literally, like, revamping that and, uh, I got a bunch of new um, new guys, new a few new board members who's going to be uh, a part of it. And just um, basically targeting the same thing as far as, you know, um, youth, youth development and mentorship and all of those things. But we're actually adding a mental health component to, component to it as well. And, and we'll be uh, not only telling my story and, you know, how I battled mental health issues and how I kind of, you know, keep myself in a better space as I'm going forward, I'm not going to say I've hundred percent conquered it because nobody can conquer their mental health uh, issues. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, it's all about maintaining and just staying happy in the proper steps that you're taking to stay better, you know, but um, the, the foundation and the Academy is like my, um, that's my thing, man. That's my pride and joy because I, I just know how impactful it can be, you know, as far as the Academy, you know, it's, it's more about, um, you know, you know, running routes, catching the balls, things I excelled at really well, but, also the mental edge to it, you know, why are you running the route this way? Why, 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 why are you running, um, you know, why are you running this route? Because the safety is inside left, you know, just the mental aspect of it, finding the soft spots in the zone, you know, little things like that. But just trying to give these kids, man, the knowledge that I, that, 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 that I was fortunate enough to learn over my, my career, you know, from my perspective, you know what I mean? And then, you know, my foundation, same thing, like I said, man, just, uh, just trying to give back, man. And, bring awareness to this mental health stuff, man, because it's important. No, that, that is awesome. So thinking back to the story you told of 2005, sitting on the, the balcony or what it was with, with Colt, did you imagine yourself down the road kind of getting into teaching and coaching and, and mentoring? Was that something you envisioned once your playing days were over at any point? Man, that's, um, that's a great question. I think for me, I think for me, eventually that was going to come around, but just right out the gate, like in 05, I was so driven at that time. I was just worried about um, being the best football player I can be. You know what I'm saying? And um, so in 2005, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't thinking about being a coach or being a founder of a foundation or none of that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, it's just funny how life goes, you know, um, you know, is there's ebbs and flows, you know, and ups and downs and, you know, eventually you get to a point where you're like, man, what is, what is, what, what, what makes me happy? You know, what, what is, what is my purpose on this earth? You know what I'm saying? What, what I want my legacy to be, you know? And I've, uh, you know, from listening to really good speakers, reading, you know, good books and audio books and all that, you know, I just kind of been really um, purpose driven these days. And, you know, what I want to leave on this earth, you know, what I want to leave um for my children you know not not necessarily financially but their last name you know what i'm saying what kind of human being 
am I, what kind of human beings am I raising? You know, what, what kind of human beings I want them to be? You know what I'm saying? So those are, those are the things that really matter to me these days. You know what I'm saying? Obviously coaching is a big part of it as well, you know, because you can be a mentor by teaching them how to run a good route and teaching them how to be a good person at the same time, you know? And um, yeah, so that's funny you brought that up, but I'm, uh, I'm literally, I have a meeting next week with an uh, academic advisor at UH so I can uh, finish my degree and then get this coaching thing kind of kind of jump started, you know, my coaching career. So that that's kind of in the works right now, man, you know? That, 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 that's awesome, man. That, that's exciting stuff. Uh, uh, speaking of UH, I mean, have you, have you been following the program much here? What, what do you think of where they're at right now? Um, you know what? It's, 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 it's kind of bittersweet, man. You know, I had a long, long talk. I want to say like an hour and a half talk with uh, Coach Graham yesterday. Me and my family went up to UH, and we just sat there and talked. It was my first time meeting, and we spoke for about an hour and a half in his office, man. And, um, it, you know, I love Hawaii. Hawaii is always going to be a special place to me because, you know, not only uh, Coach Jones and the football program, but the state itself everybody kind of gave me a second chance, you know, and I'm forever grateful for that. And that second chance literally changed my life for the good forever, you know. So with that being said, I'll always be indebted to the UH football program. But, you know, on the flip side of that is just kind of unfortunate, the, the lack of support that we, you know, we as former players get from the university, you know, especially how, um, you know, how things unfolded with Colt, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it, it kind of baffles me, but, you know, I understand it, man. It's, it's life, you know. How can – how can a guy like that, um, you know, bring so much to, to, to a state, to a culture, to a community and not really have the support from the same place that he, you know, basically put, 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 put the program on the map, you know what I'm saying? So it's kind of bittersweet, man. It's bittersweet, you know, and, and, and one of the, the key things me and Coach Graham talked about was, you know, trying to, you know, get this alumni back tight. You know, and, 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 and he wanted me to be a, a big part of that. And, and I'm willing to do that, you know, to get the guys back together, get the guys back to come in, um, you know, to the games, to the luncheons and just supporting the program in any, any way possible. And the program supporting the, um, the former guys, you know what I'm saying? For some reason, man, like one of my boys was telling me, I'm not going to drop his name, but he said he came to the program, you know, a little while ago to, to kind of, you know, talk and just hang out and, and he didn't feel warm. He didn't feel welcome. You know what I'm saying? He didn't. He felt like they were. You know, they didn't. They didn't even want to show him the locker room, the same locker room he used to get dressed in. You know what I'm saying? Just little stuff like that. And I think about Colt when when we didn't have soap in the dispensers, man. And he took it to national TV. And the very next day, we had soap in the locker rooms. You know what I'm saying? So it just it just kind of baffles me to see you know the way you know some some programs or some people act you know towards the former players. You know what I mean? But if the opportunity presents itself after I finish my degree or whatever, man, I wouldn't mind coming out here coaching. You know what I'm saying? Well, that'd probably be after my children are off doing anything. I can't really just up and leave, leave them right now. It's, it's an important time, you know, for me to be there with them. But I would love to get back out here and, like, coach and help Hawaii get back on the map and take it back to heights, you know, from where we was playing from 05 to 07. Yes, I think you make a, a, a ton of sense uh, because, you know, that's that's what you build legacies upon is is your lineage of alums. And so if they're not being valued right, in that way, right. and that changes the perception of the program. Right. I think I think Rolo tried to open the door a little bit, and hopefully it sounds like uh, Todd Graham is considering that as well. So uh, I think that's encouraging. Where is 
home for you now? Where, where's the there's, where's the headquarters for you and the fam uh, these days? I'm in uh, I'm in Gilbert, Arizona, man, and that's it's funny because like a lot of these guys on the coaching staff, Coach Graham, a lot of them have a lot of history in Arizona. Uh, he was the head coach at ASU for a little while. I was talking to one of the um, assistant coaches. And, like, his wife literally used to work at one of the high schools that's, like, not too far from where I live. You know what I'm saying? But it's a small world. But um, I like Arizona. I trained in Arizona in 2008 when, um, when, when I entered the draft. You know what I'm saying? So my girlfriend came with me at the time. She's now my wife. And uh, we, we just kind of decided, you know, when I was done playing, we was coming back. And, and um, I mean, I, my, my career ended shorter than what I expected. You know what I'm saying? But um, – when, I, when all of that went down, we moved back to Arizona and been there ever since. Uh, you said you went back to campus. It was like the first time in 13 years that you've been on campus. Uh, do, does the fam know? Like, do, do your kids sort of understand yeah, uh, everything that went on here uh, in, in your heyday at the University of Hawaii? Hell no, they don't, man. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like walking around campus with him and we just, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting emotional. I'm getting my, I got my shades on and I'm just like thinking about just everything, man. Like from, from the first step off the plane to me, literally not knowing nobody having about 10 bucks in my pocket. And, you know, from there working at warehouse or box plant my freshman year or going into my freshman season, you know, just all the struggles, man, living at, Living at this ho- this 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 um this apartment, me and the boys used to call the Roach Motel, bro. It used to have so many roaches and shit, like right by UH. And bro, I just, I it, it takes me back to all those moments. You know, obviously the good times are good, but for me, bro, I, I think about all the bad times, all, all the struggles. You know, and it, it's 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 uh, it's such a blessing to be able to um just look back and reflect. You know, and 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 all of that kind of made me who I am today. So it was special to take my kids up there and show them the campus and all of that. But, you know, we, we, we work hard so our kids don't have to struggle like we did. You know what I'm saying? And, and I got to come to grips with that at times. I have to check myself at times. Like when I'm trying to teach my, my kids something and, and I know in the back of their head, they're like, Dad, you always tell us that you used to struggle. We know about that. Okay, we know about that. You know what I'm saying? So it gets to a point where they like, they like, I'm tired of hearing you lecture. I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm tired, you know? But it's good for them to understand the history behind, you know, not only their last name, but, you know, um, just the perks that they get. You know what I'm saying? So special, man, it's special. Well, it was a special time when you were here. And unfortunately, obviously somber. Uh, the, the the vibes in in light of the passing of Colt, but uh, it again gave us a chance to visit once again that time. And uh, man, you guys made such an impact, and it's great to see you doing well, my man. And I really want to thank you for spending some time with us uh, on your trip back to Hawaii. So thank thanks for for being so generous on that front. No problem, man. Y'all, you're my guy, man. I, um, I'm just grateful, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, hit me up anytime, bro. So I'm good, man. All right, thanks once again to Devon Best. That was awesome. Uh, he really opened the door for us to uh, see in and see what he has gone through. Uh, very honest, very candid, uh, and we appreciate him giving us uh, some of his time while he's on vacay with the family back here in the islands. All right, time for our post game. Best and Worst brought to you by Waste Pro Hawaii, Maui's premier full-service refuse company, offering various sizes of dumpsters and roll-off containers for commercial construction and residential use. Family-owned and operated with over 40 years of service to the Maui community, Waste Pro Hawaii is committed to customer service and responsible waste management. Visit WasteProHawaii.com for services 
information. All right, I'll start with my best Jordan Helly. And that is not this first part of the story because it's kind of sad, but a neurologist from Florida who passed away following complications from COVID-19, here's the good part, willed to his family a baseball card collection that is being estimated to be worth $20 million. The collection reportedly includes a 1933 Babe Ruth card, which is expected to break the $5.2 million record for the sale of a single card. I don't think we have any 1933 Babe Ruths in our collections, Jordan, but what is maybe the piece of memorabilia or the most valuable collectible that you own? Yeah, nothing Babe Ruth. I do have a Willie Mays autographed baseball bat. Mm. So that's, that's, that's kind of hard to top that. What is your uh, connection to it? Is it something that uh, you would see yourself ever putting up for bid or auction or anything well, like yeah, that? Yeah, you know, we've, we've, uh, we kinda got, we've gotten lucky. My dad's had some friends who worked in Major League Baseball. Um, one of his buddies is Wayne Hagen. He was a longtime uh, Colorado Rockies radio voice, uh, worked for the Cardinals as well. So, so we've gotten some, some autographed balls and bats. Um, and I've always kind of wondered, right? It's like, oh, okay, what, what, what are some of these worth? We've got a handful. It's not like we've got like a huge collection or something mm -hmm. like that. We've got a handful, but it's always like, I don't know, you know, it's, there's something sentimental to it all, but yeah, I mean, a, a Willie Mays bat, right? That's going to be worth a fair amount, right? And, you know, not to be completely morbid, but thank goodness Willie's still alive, right? So, it, it, you know, once that happens, you know, all of a sudden these things go, it's a weird the memorabilia thing's what weird, a right? What a terrible thing to bring up, Jordan. What a terrible yeah. thing. You, you just yeah. so intimated so, the fact that when Willie Mays passes away, your bat is going to soar in value. Yeah, that's, that's how that works. That's why I say that. I really like to entertain the thought. Just saying. <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I went all in on Dwight Gooden. He was my favorite baseball player. And I went yeah. all in on Dwight Gooden baseball cards. So I have a collection of like almost a thousand Doc Gooden cards, uh, which I think depreciate in value each and every single day so uh, not the not the wisest collector uh when i was a kid all right what's your best jordan yeah my best uh last couple of days the press release getting out there that uh one the hawaii bowl is back after a year off it's going to be played at the ching complex right on campus at the university of hawaii so that's one nationally televised game at the ching complex and then the, the other news, six of Hawaii's seven games, University of Hawaii football games, are going to be on national television. So a combination, right, of ESPN, CBS Sports Network, and then the Fox Networks, like the possibility they could be on like Big Fox, let alone just on FS1. That's half of their games, right? And it, it just goes just to show you that when the University of Hawaii is decent, like they don't even have to be like Sugar Bowl good. Just, just get to bowl games, which has been the case, what, three of the last four years, I believe, including last season when they went five and four. It's not like they were out there, you know, lighting the world on fire. Good season, not to downplay anything. I'm just saying they are a very attractive national TV product. As long as Hawaii is competitive, networks love putting Hawaii on TV. And we, we got to figure out how to maximize that. And look, we, we both do work for Spectrum, and Spectrum gets the games that aren't on national television. <laughs> so I get it, right? We know a lot of people that make money off the fact that Hawaii gets to do those games at home. And so – but for exposure, right, exposure of the program, taking it to the next level, get all of it that comes with national exposure. I'm excited. That's, that's half their games, on to, including three home games on Oahu, on campus, in Manoa. And I am pretty intrigued as to what Ching Stadium, whatever they're going to call it, will look like on national television. Like 9,000-seater, strong, I'm going to imagine full, right, national TV game, night game, something like that. Like the, the students are going to come out. I'm, I'm excited. 
you're right. I mean, not only is that valuable for the program, but how about we start considering the vehicle that the University of Hawaii athletic program can be from the perspective of the Hawaii Tourism Authority, right? And all of these dollars that swirl around in trying to promote Hawaii uh, to the tourism industry. And hey, look, I'm, I'm very much a proponent of trying to reimagine our economy so it's not so dependent on that particular industry. We saw how hard we were hit uh, by virtue of the COVID pandemic shutdown. Uh, but that said, shouldn't the Hawaii Tourism Authority, shouldn't that industry as a whole be more in lockstep with the University of Hawaii Athletic Program because of the vehicle that it can be to serve both parties' better interests? Uh, just saying, just throwing that out there. Maybe somebody smarter than me can come up with a plan. It's just two entities that got their funding cut a bit. So, you know, yeah. we'll... we'll all right. Well, that could that last part could be part of our worsts, but let's get into our worsts. And mine is uh, bad news regarding Cole McDonald, former University of Hawaii quarterback, got released by the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, Cardinals have three QBs currently on the roster. You got Kyler Murray, of course. Colt McCoy was brought in basically as the number two, and not sure if they're going to keep Chris Strebler, uh, but he is their third quarterback. So Cole McDonald, just kind of a victim of the numbers, couldn't crack that top three, and so uh, he was released. And you wonder, right, he was a guy that was drafted by the Titans, didn't spend a lot of time there, got this opportunity with the Cardinals, ended pretty quickly. And so you wonder how many other opportunities he may have in front of him, at least from an NFL franchise. Uh, we'll see if Cole McDonald maybe chooses another direction, but uh, best of luck to him wherever his career takes him. What's your worst, Jordan? Uh, Colt McCoy is still playing NFL football. That's <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah, my worst, uh, sad news uh, for a lot of folks, um, I think, uh, on the Maui sports scene and, and even beyond. Uh, Fred Guzman, longtime uh, radio voice here on the Valley Isle, longtime soccer coach. Uh, passed away earlier this week, and uh, he's a guy that uh, I hold very near and dear to our heart. He he was the voice of the midday radio show, right, which you and I kind of stepped into right after a little hiatus after Fred retired from the radio station. Um, he did it for a couple of decades uh, there at, at the ESPN Maui station and, and its precursor uh, and was the the voice uh, of sports talk radio, you know, on in Maui and and some of the other reaches across the state. Uh, and that was kind of just a small snippet of the guy that Fred was. Uh, I owe him a lot. He was one of my mentors. He kind of brought me in when I was coming home from college and had me sit in on some of his radio shows during the midday and, and had me kind of get my feet wet in that. He was my dad's longtime partner. He was his color guy uh, on prep broadcast as well as the Maui Invitational for years uh, doing that. And, and that, again, was kind of the second half of Fred's career. He came to Maui in the, I think, late 80s, early 90s, started the Maui United Soccer Club, which has come become huge. He was my coach for a number of years. That's the club that I played for since I was a young kid uh, and had a lot of impact as a coach there. Um, and he was actually kind of a trailblazer. I don't know how many people realize before he came to Maui, he, he went to San Jose State. He's from Puerto Rico. Uh, he's from Bayamon. And he was, a, um, he was a writer for the San Jose Mercury News for a couple of decades before he even got to Maui. Uh, and was one of the few beat writers of color uh, as, a, as a Latino, a Hispanic man writing. He covered the A's. He covered the Raiders. Uh, he actually did some Spanish language radio broadcasts for the Raiders uh, when they were in Oakland. And so he was he was one of the few beat guys out there covering major professional sports uh, as as a man of color. And uh, I think paved the way for a lot of folks there. And then he, he decided to come to Maui and, and kind of left a whole other legacy here. So uh, we're going to miss Fred a lot. Uh, he had still been kind of hanging around the soccer fields up until recently. And um, I know, uh, you know, he had been going through some medical struggles. So he's, uh, 
he's going to be missed. And uh, so that's, that's my worst to kind of end off the show. We owe him a lot. Yeah, I, I think we properly framed that to give you that uh, opportunity because I know how much he meant to you just in my time knowing him not nearly as, as closely as your family, uh, but he always just had a kind word uh, every time mm -hmm. we crossed paths. And yeah, we owe him a lot, right? We, we, we took that um, uh, midday radio spot years after he had uh, decided to uh, step away from that industry. And uh, he gave, we were not going to do it without his blessing. He gave us his blessing. Mm -hmm. He gave us some advice and some tips and uh, always give it up to Fred Guzman, uh, trailblazer in, in a number of different ways. And uh, yeah, he will be remembered. You, you see just the impact that he had by the response that you see on the island of Maui. He touched so many and impacted so many people's lives. Uh, and so he will be missed. And uh, well said, uh, that is a perfect sentiment, Jordan. Rest in aloha, Fred Guzman. All right, that's it for our best and worst brought to you by WastePro, Hawaii Maui owned, Maui operated for Maui's people. Hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa at Jordan Helly, or at TalkSports808. Thanks once again to Devon Best for jumping on. Jordan, we'll do it again next time. Yeah, man.